Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the most Hi, Matt. This is the most <laughs> impressive setup I've ever seen. You're making me look Are like an absolute amateur. I'm incredible. I thought I joined the wrong Zoom link. I was like, am I if oh, I just no, gone no, live on like good morning USA or something? <laughs> Nice. What an amazing set. What camera are you I don't skip using? out on details. I'm so, I'm beyond impressed, Amy. Lovely to meet you. No idea. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. <laughs> Is this your office space then? No, totally not. Just a friend. But we're going to have fun. We are going to have. I mean, I'm just going to have to compose myself for a minute. <laughs> Here we are. Um, so where, where are you? Let's set the scene for people listening because they'll be like, what's going on? I'm in Orange County. California. And is that always been near enough home or have you traveled and and lived sort of here, there and everywhere? Not at all, actually. Um, I'm originally from outside of Philadelphia, East Coast. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, tell me about your childhood growing up there. My friend Jesse from the band Killswitch Engage, he spent some time in Philadelphia um, and he had some amazing stories about growing up there. It was obviously, I think, at a certain point in time, fairly exciting and dangerous all at once 
Yeah, you know, um, I lived in a pretty diverse neighborhood, um, which I'm super proud of, and I think made me tough, you know, um, which is probably how I've withstand the music industry as long as I have. Um, yeah, just working class parents. My dad was in the military. Um, my mom had a corporate job. Um, nothing to, you know, just normal working class family I was brought up in. How many siblings have you got? I had one older sister, um, but she was like seven years older. So we were never close, unfortunately, because she had already moved out of the house and I was still in elementary school. So, so essentially, essentially an only child. Yeah, you could say that. Um, junior high, my mom ended up uh, fostering my two cousins. So there were three girls in the house at one point. And we were all about a year and a half apart from each other. So that, that must have been fun for your dad. Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Outnumbered, outgunned. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, my, my older sister, she was pretty wild. So, you know, it was late 80s. I just remember Camaro's big hair, <laughs> her always driving off with, you know, some guy in some crazy car and Metallica back patch. <laughs> sounds like a good time. Yeah. So music, yeah. when when does music enter your life in a in a really kind of, you know, profound and and meaningful way beyond guys and cruisers 100 percent <laughs> <laughs> yeah that 100 percent um is my dad awesome who so i what, love so what was much. his what was yeah. his go-to jams my dad is 100 percent rock and roll like always was in a band band practice at the house records blaring you know still to this day it's so funny i was just on the phone with my mom the other day and it's the same they're still married which is lovely and it's still the same dialogue george turn it down <laughs> <laughs> just him up in his room on his guitar you know and he's in his 70s i love yeah, stories like always, that always my dad a lot of the time i find with doing what i do and speaking to to the people that I speak to, music is often for them uh, an outlet of rebellion and expression. Um, perhaps sometimes at home, you know, it isn't the best environment, so music is almost their their savior and their escape. But every now and again, I do meet somebody like yourself who music for them was a way of connecting further to to a parent, and that you know they did have a healthy and really positive and loving relationship with them. And it sounds like that was the case with you. And so your way into music was actually passed down from the parent because of their love for it that you soaked up. I don't know that we had a choice, <laughs> you know, my dad was always, you know, and I, I'm so grateful for that. Um, it definitely was uh, a little rough. You know, my dad is a, he is a Vietnam vet. Um, so there was definitely, um, it wasn't all happy, loving all the time, for sure. There, it was, it was rough, but that was, you know, in those days they didn't really diagnose PTSD. Um, so it was an undiagnosed thing, you know, in hindsight. And it, it was, it was rough, 
you know, living with that and um, a lot of anger issues. But I think music was his outlet because he didn't, you know, a lot of Vietnam vets, unfortunately, um, turned to drugs or alcohol um, and kind of, you know, medicated that way. My dad didn't do either of those. He wasn't an alcoholic. He didn't do drugs. His drugs was music all the time. Assumedly, you weren't around and didn't know him before he went off to war. So your only experience was the kind of post war years. Right. Yeah. He went in, uh, gosh, he was nine. I think he had his 18th birthday in the jungle. That's real. And yeah. Yeah. Um, like proper infantry, you know, jumping out of helicopters. Here you go. You're going to probably die. Yeah. Did he talk to you guys at home much about anything that he was experiencing or, or, or was that not really, again, the kind of the done thing back then? Like how aware were you of the intricacies and the, you know, the details of some of the stuff he experienced growing up? Um, he does. He didn't really talk about it. He still won't really. Um, there was, I remember him waking up with night terrors for sure. That was definitely a thing. Um, but other than that, you know, he won't really go into detail about, he's shared some things, but it's definitely, uh, not something he enjoys talking about. Yeah. Well, sure. I can, I can understand that. It wouldn't be, would it? Um, it's lovely that your parents are still together though. Yes. And my dad, you know, he ended up, uh, I think staying in, uh, he was stationed in Germany shortly after the war and well-traveled. Uh, I have some roots, uh, my, his mom, my grandmother was from East Finchley. So that's North London, I believe. Um, yeah, my dad, he's, he's a cool, he's a cool, he's a lovely man. I love him so much. What been was through the a first, lot. We've had a lot of growth. What was the first band that would have become your your band then? If you've if you've got introductions to all sorts of good stuff coming down from you, Dad, was there one oh, that really gosh. first of all was like, "That's me there, right there." That's a bit of me. You mean influenced by him that I listened to growing up because of him? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he'd sit me on the couch, made me watch Woodstock from start to finish. <laughs> It was all six that hours sort of thing. Yeah. So all six hours. Yeah, that was a good time for him. Just but you know, at the time it was annoying, but I'm grateful for that because I feel like I'm a, a very well versed in all genres of music. But you know, my dad's a guitar player, so uh, it was a lot of uh Jeff Beck, you know, Johnny Winter, a lot of blues, which um I didn't appreciate it then. Now I do. Yeah. It's cool. How long did you stay in Philly? Did you go to college somewhere else? Did you expand and kind of, you know, spread your wings once you got out of high school or did you stick around well, home for I a while? I started dating a musician. Classic. There. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and he was in California. And I had an uncle in California and I flew to LA for the first time. I want to say I was 22, 
And um, I kind of just knew I was like, yeah, I'm I've kind of outgrown, you know, the hometown and I want to give this a try. So I ended up driving across the country with my best friend and not knowing where I was going to live or what I was going to do for work or any of any of that. And um, I just knew I had a family member and he said I could crash at his apartment until I, you know, got on my feet. So Joe said something very similar and loads of people I've spoken to yeah. think, of, of, of that time. It was a lot easier, yeah, our, I think, maybe financially. definitely a line there. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, back then, gosh, you, you could get a studio apartment for $600. Now it's like Good luck with three that. grand. <laughs> so who, who was the musician you went out yeah. for? Anybody, anybody I would know? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go there, but okay. um, they they were doing stuff then. It's he was a lovely, say. a lovely man. <laughs> it was they, a good introduction to Los Angeles. They had stuff going on. It wasn't just a no hoper that was going to sit on the couch and play guitar all yeah. day. No, they were signed and they had it going on. Yeah, it was fun. But you know, I I was young and. Um, uh, I didn't want to be, uh, I, I guess I'm more, uh, and I've always just been kind of more of a dude in that way. I'm <laughs> more independent. Like I didn't really think of it as like a future with this person. It was just fun at the time. And, uh, my dreams were, I wanted to do the acting and modeling thing at the time. And no one was getting to get in the way with that, especially not a man. So <laughs> Where does that love begin then? With film, with theater? Where do you start first getting um, drawn towards acting and, and performing in that way? In, in high school, um, fashion design was definitely an interest for me. And on the weekends when I was in high school, I was going to this uh, design school on the, week, on the weekends to do this like workshop for fashion design. And... <clears throat> I liked working with my hands. I could uh, think of something that I wanted to design and and sew it, but I learned very quickly that I wasn't good at sketching, which was definitely required if I wanted to go down that road. So um, then uh, one of the teachers was like, because I'm, I'm pretty tall, I'm 5'9", and then I was just tall, super skinny. She said, you know, you could be making a lot of money just fit modeling, you know? And so I started doing that in high school. I mean, I was 17. Excuse like my, my ignorance. First, What's fit modeling? First... Fit modeling is when is for fashion designers and they're they're fitting the clothes on a model. Right. So, right. Yeah. And so is there a lot so of that, that opportunity like... going on in California when you get out there then? No. So that then evolved to when I was 19, um, I signed with my first casting uh, agency in Philadelphia. And so that just was, you know, some print stuff. It wasn't any acting then. Um, and then, you know, in those days, I'm trying to remember it's, it was so different because it's not like now, you know, where you can go on social media and just click a button and you can see 
someone's portfolio. I mean, you had to work at it. It was a photographer. It was a composite card. You had to show that you could have so many looks, you know, bikini business that, you know, uh, be versatile. And, um, I loved that though. I loved, um, I was very shy, but, uh, I'll backtrack a little bit. I was shy as a kid. Um, but I loved dancing. So I started dancing at the age of six, probably in all the way until 21 ballet, jazz, all of that stuff. Um, so for me being on stage, I loved for a moment. Um, and then that turned to, uh, being behind a camera. I enjoyed, you know, being photographed. Um, and then the fashion side of it. Yeah. So I hadn't had any acting experience, you know, prior to moving to LA. I just was like, why not? You know, I'll go try and do that. So off I went, you know, driving across the country with my best friend and, you know, figured it out. But that didn't last very long <laughs> until I met someone. And then that pivoted into the music industry. And then is that just it then from, from, from here to now, the rest is history kind of thing. It's that small little change in your life then that laid the path ahead for, for everything that was to follow. There was a... Yeah, there was a window. I mean, when I first got there, I was like, you know, I just really, really want to try and make this work. So I was signed with an agency. Um, and in those days, again, you know, it wasn't social media. It was hard to get work. You know, you would go on these auditions. There were 50 other girls behind you, you know, and you had five seconds literally to pitch yourself, hand someone a card, you know, and meet them face to face and then off you went and you did that all day long and um you know i got some work out of it uh which was cool and it was a cool experience but um like i said it didn't last very long and i, and I had met someone uh which ended up being my husband now ex-husband and uh father of my two children and he uh was rancid's manager at the time is that Dan? Dave. Dave. Not Dan Hodge. So before Dan, Dan was the tour manager at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But Dave go. was uh yeah, the day-to-day -day operations. You know. So are you then in that day-to-day -day operation professionally? Uh he, yeah. So he he basically so where that pivoted was um he goes, you know, I I know you want to do this thing, but you know, would you rather be going on auditions all day or would you rather have a sure salary, you know, and they presented me a job and it was pretty hard to turn down with consistent work like that. And, you know, I was young, I was 24 and it was exciting. Uh, Tim needed an assistant at the time and uh, we had a meeting. I really enjoyed him. I thought he was lovely. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's try it. And, it. and I ended up being with them for seven years. So from 2004 to 2011. Wow. And what sort of, um, yeah. what albums are coming out? Was that during the transplants era or was that a little bit after? I came in right at the tail end. Right. 
that that album yeah. for me i mean i love i love rancid and will always love rancid but there was something so exciting about that transplants album at that time it sounded so unlike anything else and i think yeah. the fact that they never came over here to tour as well to the uk it made it all the more like elusive that we never got to see it live because mm. it was such a great record but yeah never got to see it yeah that was a you know that was probably the most memorable not that right now isn't fun and memorable but it was just that time you know being that young and feeling like you could do anything you know no kids yet <laughs> just a different time and uh it was super cool because you know machete i don't know if you were are you aware of machete it was a merch company at the time um so rancid and dave my ex-husband they started a merch company together and um total diy you know dave started it in his garage and uh with the i think him and johnny two bags from social distortion uh they found a screen printing press somewhere in LA and they bought it and uh Dave started pressing t-shirts in the garage and then um ultimately you know Rancid invested in it so it became you know a partnership and it from from this little you know idea turned into you know towards the end it was a multi-million dollar um business you know we did warp tour hot topic when that was you know, hot topic in, you know, the early 2000s, mid 2000s was super hot. We had over 200 bands we did merch for, you know, everyone from Social Distortion, the Ramones, GBH, um, Rancid, of course, um, and a lot of smaller bands too, which was super fun. So my day to day turned into, uh, you know, Tim always came first. Uh, so if something was going on, you know, I would leave, but half of my day was split running operations at Machete and then um, assisting, you know, going to his house, working. And we were a small team. I mean, we were running those kind of numbers, you know, with, there was only four of us. So it was a lot of work, but it was fun. It was an interesting time for the music industry as well, because what you would have been privy to is that almost overnight decline of physical album sales, which would then inspire things like this that you're saying, these other ways of, of bands and, and you know companies to be making money beyond just selling records. What was your yeah. opinion and perspective of that time? Like, was it a stressful and uh, and hard time? Because obviously Tim had his label as well. And, you know, and, and mm -hmm. obviously, you know, you're now working with, with Mike and his label. And but I guess all of those, yep. all of those guys who started Epitaph and Fat Rack and Hellcat and Nitro and all of those labels, they would have been able to have, you know, make a pretty good living from, from the sales of their bands on their roster up until yeah. maybe the mid 2000s. And then it's like, yikes, <laughs> we've mm -hmm. got to lay off all our staff. Everything's changing what do we yeah. do from here i remember at one point um we lived our operations our warehouse was just we were in burbank so we were right down the street from warner 
you know, and I had gotten my girlfriend. Uh, I, I was actually offered a job um, and I didn't take it. I just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I was just, you know, that's, that's not, uh, I don't jump ship like that. It's not ingrained in me. I'm super loyal. Um, but I ended up, my girlfriend ended up taking the position and it was probably, you know, only a few years after that, they started making hardcore cuts, you know, within there. So I definitely remember, um, the decline of the music industry, sadly. Yeah. Buying records wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It was, what, it was tough. What about making records as well? That must have changed the whole process of that as well. What, what were Rancid doing album-wise in that time? Was it Domino's 4? Would that have been the first album they worked on when you were part of the team? Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah. And then we did that video inside of Machete. Uh, Tony Hawk's in it. We, we built a half pipe inside the warehouse of machete. That's where that was filmed. And we staged the whole thing. Uh, Dave Robertson directed that, um, who's done a lot of rancid stuff, just brilliant, um, director. Uh, yeah, we had a, a great crew. That was a fun. Yeah. We kept it up for a while after that, everybody would come skate it. <laughs> Why would you not? Right. Had to, had to yeah. do it. Did you go out on the warp tour every time Rancid played? Um, it kind of gets a little bit. So I, <clears throat> I was on the UK tour. I want to say that was 2006 when they played Brixton Academy. Um, and just a lot of US dates. Um, but then I got pregnant. So I didn't go on tour as much, but I had most definitely a really fun run at the beginning touring with them for sure yeah i kind of stayed away from warp tour somehow <laughs> too much i remember maybe, maybe i just it was, yeah it was a little too much i think i did a few but you know it was always merch related dropping something off or i never stayed stuck around i yeah, was like just it was that was a crazy time. I, I will definitely say that. I mean, I was young, so I could do it, but my body then I remember, you know, cause like I said, it was, it was double duty. It was, you know, I'd work, you know, eight hours at machete and then I'd go, you know, do stuff for Tim. And, you know, I was working probably definitely 60 to 80 hours a week easily or something like that. So going to a festival was definitely <laughs> not interesting to me. I was more behind the scenes operations, you know, helping hold everything together. Yeah, I think you can do it when you're young up to a point, can't you? And then it does get tiring physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I did work my I, when I was pregnant with my first son, Dylan. Uh, I, you know, I worked all the way up until, you know, I had him belly out to here, lifting 40 pound boxes of merch, getting everything ready. What's yeah. some of the what's some of the like um, experiential realities as a mother and full were you full time as well when you were you know, after you'd given birth or did you have some time off to just go be a mum or were you literally having to just because of the nature of the situation juggle both and do both and if so 
Yeah. What, what is the reality of that? <laughs> I had Dylan in the, in the little baby Bjorn up at Tim's, you know, first thing in the morning. I mean, he was with me all the time. I just, you make it work somehow, you know, we, again, you know, we were small. The one thing I will say about Rancid is I, you know, I'm so grateful to them always will be um, because I was so young, you know, when I started and just new to LA, my life could have gone a completely different direction, you know? And um, Tim was always, he's one of my favorite people in the world, you know, just so respectful and honoring. And um, it was a really, really fun time. And we always kept things interesting or creative or, you know, it, it wasn't just about merch. Um, you know, his art now, that's something super cool to see come full circle. Cause I remember, you know, going up to the house and taking him, he was just kind of starting to play around in his living room with painting. And I would take him to the art store, you know, once a week and, uh, Tim collected newspapers. So you'd walk in his house and you would just see stacks of newspapers in this certain area. And now, wh um, why was that? Did he like news? Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, the LA times every morning at the front door, you know, right. and when I walked in, that was what he was doing. He was reading the paper every morning. Yeah. So I think he was just getting creative, you know, with newspaper print and painting and just, you know, um, it was super fun to watch. And then, you know, fast forward to now and he's, you know, selling his paintings for, you know, quite a bit of money. It's, it's, um, it's awesome to see that. Yeah. He seems like he's a real artist even before he was doing art. You know, I think mm -hmm. everything about his persona and, and, and output has always suggested like this dude's a deep thinker and a, an, an artist in the traditional sense of the word. Um, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was John Feldman. He was like, yeah, Tim's an artist. He rides the bus. He doesn't drive a car. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the thing I took that him to get it. his license. <laughs> <You did. laughs> that was fun too. I did. Yeah. <laughs> he was in his uh, probably late forties at that time. And um, we'd have driving lessons and yeah, he still wasn't driving at that time. So Me neither. That was, I'm 37. That was a big, not that I'm an that artist, was a big part I'm of my game. Not a driver. <laughs> not a driver. No. Yeah. No. I'm glad. Hey, were you around when um, Sky did the solo track with him? So she's now in a band called Absolutely. Sumo Psycho. She's been on the show. Yeah. I love her, and she talks really fondly about that time because she was like a kid, basically, and you know she yeah. was going into this scary world of adult male punk rockers and. And she said everybody in that camp was so lovely to her. And she she talks very fondly about that time. And that tune oh, and her to contribution that. to that tune is so good. And it's it's always a song that I put on whenever I'm DJing. Into Action is the name of the song for oh. listening. But yeah, yes. tell me about having that her in. That was super fun. She, like you said, I mean, she was just super young. And um, yeah, they did their first show, I want to say, in like Echo Park. I'm trying to remember what the venue was. Um, and then she also played the K-Rock Weenie Roast, I want to say, too. Yeah. 
yeah, that's when Tim's solo album came out. It was around that whole, definitely around that whole time. It was cool. How did he become aware of her? How did he find her? Or did she find him? Uh, I think the, the labels put her together with him, from what I remember. Because he does a lot of different writing, doesn't he? I mean, I don't know how much of it is public knowledge and how much is like, you know, ghost or secret, but are there any yeah, that you can I mean, share that's, that are that's known? the cool uh, pink. Yeah. So he won a Grammy um, for Trouble with Pink. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim, Tim is an amazing songwriter. He's a two-time Grammy award-winning artist. I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know. Um, he got the second one towards the tail end um, when I was on with Jimmy Cliff. So they got a Grammy together for, for that too, that project. But yeah, Pink, um, Sky. I'm trying to remember if there's any other poppy. Um, Enrique Iglesias. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of those songs made it to any of the albums. Gosh, it's been, I can't believe it's been, you know, probably close to 20 years or something. But yeah. Wrote with Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> Amazing. What was Jimmy like? Jimmy Cliff, what a legend. Did oh you spend my time with him? Yeah. You know, that was the cool thing. I'd walk in the house sometimes and you would never know who was in there with him. <laughs> it was pretty intimidating. Yeah. But it was cool. I mean, yeah, it was it was a wonderful time. So wonderful when you time. when you um you and your husband break up is that kind of the end of your working relationship with rancid is that how it goes down or because things get complicated when all of that's involved isn't it family business and then ah okay what now? you know we were it was it was a hard um dynamic to keep afloat you know now fast forward there's two kids now and both of us working full time and just uh him being on the road a lot me still, you know, managing the business and then Tim's side of things, you know, um, he was managing the band, also Tim's solo career at the time. So we had a lot of things going on, you know, it wasn't a normal uh, nine to five operation by any means. I mean, it was 24 seven all the time. Um, and that becomes exhausting for sure, you know. Um, and I can't speak for him, but, uh, from my perspective, I think that there was some burnout, you know, probably a midlife crisis type thing or something. And, um, he just hit a wall and at, you know, I came way later. So at that point he had been with them for 15 years or something. I mean, he came on at their heyday in the nineties. So I think he was just tired, you know, and um, all of a sudden, you know, you have all these responsibilities. Now you have a wife and kids and, you know, um, it definitely started to spiral. And we almost divorced then in Los Angeles. Um, and we were separated for, you know, six months and I was continuing to work and juggle kids and all of that. And then um, we would go to Hawaii often for a vacation to kind of just chart recharge our batteries, you know? And, um, he came to me and he said, I want to try and make this work, this, this marriage and this family unit work, but I don't think we can do it here. 
it's not going to work. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> and uh, he wanted to move to Hawaii and raise the boys in Hawaii and leave LA. So um, I did what any, you know, supportive wife at the time would do. And that's you honor your husband's request if that's what he wants, you know, even though inside I was like, this is not a good idea at all. I'm leaving a career, you know, you've already proven that you're a little wobbly right now. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Maybe, maybe not. Um, and the only thing I had really was my job and my kids. You know, I didn't have family in LA or I wasn't from there. And um, I started a life there. My kids were born there. I have, I, I, and, you know, it wasn't just a job. You know, we were a family. You know, I was um, Lars's um, now ex-wife, but Lars's wife at the time was pregnant at the same time I was. You know, we had our kids together. We'd vacation together. You know, it wasn't just like this. You work for these people. It wasn't. That's not the way it was. We were a family, hundred percent. And um, you know, I solved him more than I did my own husband most of the days. You know, um, it was almost like I was a second wife. You know, without the uh relational part, obviously, but we were together all the time. He was he's my best friend, and um, so leaving that um definitely my first instinct was this isn't a good idea. Um, but I chose to not honor that. How old were your boys so, at this point? One and three. Oh, wow. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, um, a super rational decision. You know, he, we had talked to the band and, you know, uh, let them know kind of the idea of what we were doing, you know, because there's, you know, there's equity, there's businesses, there's daily operation, you know, it was, it was a big deal that we were going to leave. And, um, is there any plan of how so, you're going to make money in Hawaii? Not really. I'm just going to go there and hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, and that sounds really crazy until you go there and you live there and you realize that you don't need much. Um, it's not for everyone. Absolutely not. Um, but it is a lifestyle where people don't care who you are or what you do. And it's probably the only place in the world you can roll up to like a four seasons in like a beater car and no one's going to look at you sideways. They don't care. No one cares. No one cares what you do. No one cares how much money you make. Um, it's not about that at all. So. Sounds awesome. I don't. In yeah. Theory. Yeah. We, we'll talk about that more later but <laughs> yeah so we um ended up making that move the boys were one and three and um you know without getting into it too much because i want to respect him obviously um we're uh great co-parents now and um you know the marriage 
didn't end up working out. Um, Dave struggles with alcoholism. You know, if he were sitting here right now, I don't think he'd be bummed at me for saying that. That's just, you know, what it is. And um, the part about the story I want to say, because I hoping talking about it will, will help someone is always the goal. Um, that whole camp was sober, mm -hmm. which I personally feel like is a definitely a big reason why they're, they're able to be so successful. They keep their camp super tight. No one's drinking, doing drugs, and not saying that that's not okay, but this is just the way that they ran things. And so I never saw him drink. He was sober, my ex-husband. And he actually um, is responsible for a lot of people in the music industry getting sober. He was the guy you went to to get sober. And um, unfortunately, you know, about a year and a half only into moving to Hawaii, he started drinking. And at that point, you know, we'd been together probably eight years and I never saw him drink a drop of alcohol ever. So it was shocking, you know, but I think at the time it was kind of like, well, I'm not your mom. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's definitely, you know, concerning because I've never seen this part of you. Um, but at the time it was like, well, you know, I'm just going to beer here and there and I can handle it, you know. Um, but that changed very quickly, unfortunately. And um, I hung in there a long time, you know, five, six years with an active alcoholic on an island <laughs> with no support, really. And I just left everything I knew. Uh, I was contemplating whether I was going to talk about this or not, but maybe I'm supposed to, you know, but it was, it was gnarly. And it was super difficult, <clears throat> but um, we got through that part and um, I finally, I think just, I knew I needed to get back to California, even though I wasn't from there, that just felt like the comfortable place to go from there, I guess. And uh, my son at the time, he's 15 now. Um, but he was competing surfing and, uh, the positive side to this is that I realized I needed, you know, he, he was competing so much and we're on, you know, this tiny Island and we're traveling inter-Island for contests too, but there's only, you know, so far you can go. And he was absolutely crushing it, you know? just winning everything and uh, young, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And I knew that I needed to get him to California to catapult him and, you know, follow his dreams. And I wanted to really support that. So it was parallel with the marriage wasn't working. And also um, I believed in my son so much. And I knew that 
I wanted to try this and see if something would happen for him if we moved. So we did. And uh, I left with nothing. <laughs> um, what I could fit in a suitcase, our surfboards, and that was it. And uh, I'm in Huntington Beach. We're in a you know quaint two-bedroom apartment, but we're across the street. So he can just walk across the street to surf. And that's where a lot of the contests are. So uh, he has an advantage there. It's, you know, pretty much his backyard and he can hone in on his passion. And probably about six months after we made that move, um, he was 12 years old and uh, Quicksilver picked him up. So I'm looking back, you know, there's, everyone has a path. There's a reason for everything. Right. But a mother's into intuition is definitely a completely different thing. And, um, regardless of what, you know, I was feeling or going through at the time, you know, I, I knew that I needed to get my son to California so that aside from all of the, the music stuff and everything, you know, first and foremost, that is my job as a mom and to support my kids and, you know, he's just so talented and uh, has a great spirit. And I just want to support him as long as that's his dream, you know? Um, so that's where we are. I have no reason to be in Huntington Beach, California, but, uh, you know, we're making it work because he wants to pursue something. And um, I believe in that for him. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to say thank you, first of all, for being really fearlessly honest and, and vulnerable and, and, mm. and going to those places. Um, I appreciate that and I'm grateful for that. Um, and it's interesting to me that this conversation's happening at this time because I'm not a parent, I don't have kids, but I'm in a place in my life where everybody that I'm close to does and I'm watching them evolve mm. as people and their roles as humans evolve. And um, it's a fascinating time in my life and I think that from the little that you've shared there and what I can gather, it seems like 
being a mother became a a salvation for you in a way and gave you purpose in a dark time um as an individual how did you get through what must have been a very confusing time because it's like you had a whole life that seemed obviously it can't have been perfect because there was a reason for your partner wanting to move but at the time it must have seemed like we've kind of got it made here why would we leave this and then for him to then change so drastically must have really just thrown your whole world upside down um i'd just be intrigued to know as as a as a person and as a partner and as a mother you would have coped with that you know hope hopefully maybe people who find themselves in a similar situation might be able to deduct some you know words of encouragement or strength from that um sometimes you have strength and you have no idea where it comes from you just it's just this forward motion to keep going um for me personally, um, God is the only person that got me through that. Um, and anyone can take that for, you know, they believe in God, they don't. Um, for me personally, I do. And uh, that's the short of it. Your faith. It's my, 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 my faith. Yeah. my spirituality absolutely 100% did you when you move back to california how then do you move forward is it just focusing on being a mom and, and supporting your kids and and that's kind of where you feel like the energy and the attention has to go and then everything kind of just works out at first you know, totally. At first I I just wanted to get set up. My only concern was moving somewhere where the boys could just walk across the street and surf, you know, because there was that part of it too. I was taking them out of a lifestyle, you know, this Island essentially, you know, we moved there when they were only one and three. So, and they were 10 and 12 when we moved back to California. So the bulk of their, you know, um, elementary preschool elementary that whole time they were raised in hawaii a completely different culture did you stay in hawaii after you split with your partner then for a while because you're saying it was like five years or so that you hung on in there did you split but then stay in hawaii for another five with the boys yeah yeah so with hawaii we were still actually living in the same because the cost of living there was so you know i i was at this uh moment where it's like okay you can move out um and separate but then you're never going to be able to leave here because you're not going to be able to save enough to leave it's just impossible you know unless you're self-made already have you know uh established business you're working two and three jobs there it's just a known thing you know it's super expensive to live there um there isn't a whole lot of opportunity if you care about that sort of thing. Um, so I was working uh, my ass off in a hotel as a lobby lounge server, making excellent money. <laughs> no diss there at all. It was a great job. Um, and I, I got to meet different people and 
things like that. But it was kind of a trip because I worked where we would go for a vacation <laughs> and stay at one time. Um, and I think that's what got me the job because it was just so humbling, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, my so, first so thought was- So you're separated was, but co-inhabiting, basically, yeah. Yeah, and just um, making sure that the boys are okay, you know, because I'm taking out them out of this- island lifestyle environment and i'm you know um we moved to a beach town which was super cool but it's still you know la orange county you know it's more people more crowded it, it definitely was a culture shock for them for sure like we have to wear shoes mom what mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. we gotta wear shoes to school where did you take us you know because they're they were too young to remember I think uh, the older one remembers LA a little bit, but you know, they didn't really remember California. So yeah, just making sure that I landed somewhere where um, there can be self-sufficient. Cause I knew I would have to work, you know, no family, no support in that regard. Um, it was just me and, and them. So I needed to be somewhere where they could be self-sufficient, you know, riding their bike or going to the beach and doing what they love, which is surfing and being able to do that and just walk across the street and not have to, you know, find a ride there or just making it as easy as possible for them. Wasn't about me where I wanted to be, you know, um, it would have been easier probably to move back to LA and start you know, working. But um, when that started to become obvious that I needed to figure that part out, you know, something in music to some capacity just seems like the right thing because that's what I had known and definitely missed. Not that there's not a music scene in Maui or Hawaii. There's actually super talented musicians there. It's just a different genre of music. Um, but not a lot of people came through. No effects did <laughs> while I lived there. Um, but yeah, so I, I missed the scene for sure. I missed going to shows. I missed being around that energy. Um, were you in touch so... with the people from that community in those intermittent years or how did that work out? Or was it kind of like you lost contact with a lot of people and almost through, I guess, social media would have been one thing. You know, that kind of becomes a thing and you can eat more easily keep in touch with friends, you know, not in your yeah. city. But um, It was more of like Facebook, like Instagram wasn't even really a thing then from what I remember. But um, I didn't end up connecting really. I think the first, I had left the island one time before I left for good. And I, uh, I did a one-off run with TSOL, helping them with their merch. Um, and, uh, I ran into Tim and it was just like, it was the best, you know, cause it was just this said, like, everything's cool. You know, I care about you. I, you know, it was just this mutual, respect i mean he's he's just the best and i'm again i'll say it again i'm just grateful he's he did a lot for me and my family and um 
just creatively, which we, we didn't really get a chance to get into that, but like the machete days, you know, there was just so much cool stuff that we, we did. I mean, at one point we did machete customs, you know, and that's when he was starting to do his art. I was doing, um, uh, t-shirts and purses and sewing at the time and selling that. And then we started a machete kids line. I mean, there was just always something he pushed me to always be creative. He cared about what I thought, you know, and that was always a good um, feeling. And he he'll always be someone I respect and admire and am inspired by. So it was great to reconnect with him. And then I ended up re reconnecting with him again um, so my first job back was I started working with Emily Punk Rock and Paintbrushes, helping her curate right. art shows. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I know Emily. <laughs> yeah. And so um did a few shows with her. And then we were having like the big Christmas party, end of the year type of thing. And uh Tim was gonna be there. And we opened up like the first hour um for him and like Mike Ness and you know. So they wouldn't be bothered with a lot of people and able to come through and see the installation and have a good time. And uh, we had such a good connecting chat, you know, because we really hadn't had an opportunity to do that for years. Um, and it was kind of just this sad thing of like, we don't need to talk about anything. You know, we're good. We'll always be good. Thank you for everything that you've done for me vice versa, you know, um, and we'll still, Hey, what's up? How you doing? Check in. So that part, that part's good. And, um, so COVID happened, um, during that time. And, um, we were trying to figure out how to do the next holiday show, um, during that time. So we ended up doing the show, um, like a virtual thing, live thing at Mike's house, at Mike's house in LA. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we had connected. <laughs> yeah. So while I was working, uh, one of the shows I, I was working, um, Eric and Sarah Melvin uh, were at because they, they have their art there for some of her shows sometimes. And um, Mike needed an assistant at the time or something. And they were both like, you should hit him up. You'd be perfect, you know? And and I had known him, you know, because Rancid and NoFX Camp are, you know, pretty much same era, same area, all that type of thing. So I had met Mike several times. And um, so I started assisting work with him at first. You know, that was my gig at first. And then COVID kind of was dying down a little bit. Things were starting to get back to normal. And, um, you know, I kind of outgrew that with her and I wanted to focus um, more in a role with him um, that was needed at the time. And it just felt uh, like a good direction to pivot to and um, more creatively on on my end. and um, better opportunity. So, um, I started working, you know, with Mike and, uh, helping him resurrect some projects, Fatal, one of them, um, his, uh, 
men's panty line that kind of during COVID kind of fell to the wayside a little bit. So the assisting work slowly, you know, pivoted to he needed help with other projects. And then um, Sonic Art, which is an art collective that we have together. And that also was started, I want to say he started that in 2019. I don't really know the details of who was running at the time or anything like that, but didn't work out. And so that was another project that was kind of um, resurrected, which was super fun. And um, then the label started. So we launched the label uh, December. So about five months. And so I'm on board with that. And it, again, a small team. There's like four of us day to day operations. Um, and it's great. I mean, we're, so it's myself. Um, Dylan is a, the label manager. He's in New York city, Tom's in the UK and Mike. And so that's been, you know, excellent. And this is bottles to the ground. This is bottles to the ground. Yeah. And it's it's funny to me just how busy Mike is. He's one of the most prolific dudes I know. Um, and yeah, so so far already, there's obviously the new Melvinator record, which just came out. Um, there's Is the Get Dead record out on bottles or is that fat? No, that's fat. That's fat. Mm-hmm. Co-Defendants is bottles? Co-Defendants is, yeah. Yes. So this is Crime Wave just came out. Yeah. yeah. And I brought this. It's such it's such a good logo, <laughs> let alone record. It's a really iconic design. Had to bring that. Yeah. And uh talking about that transplants record earlier, this co-defendants album is the first record I've yeah. heard since that that sounds as fresh. <laughs> I said and the different. same thing, yeah. But co-defendants is better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Mike has a very healthy, competitive kind of, you know, r- friendship slash rivalry with Tim and, yeah. uh, you know, with, with everything they do. And that's one, one Absolutely. of the things that keeps they him going, isn't it? They respect each other. It's, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's great. And, so, you know, it's, it's just refreshing because they're pretty similar in terms of um, they're both just creative geniuses, you know? So to be, um, for me, you know, going through that transition that I needed to go through in my life, uh, personal family, um, to be in this position again with someone that I just respect and admire. And that is just a creative genius is, you know, I'll probably start to cry just with gratitude. Um, well, it's something you've earned, though, clearly. And, you know, you wouldn't be in these positions if they didn't see something equally impressive and inspiring in you. Mike is an amazing person. He's got an a enormous heart. And, um, you know, again, just being in this position of like, oh, someone cares what I think. And you're seeing these uh, projects start from the ground. And I, you know, that's when he was still living in Los Angeles. And so I would hear bits coming out of the studio, you know, from the, the co-defendants project and just the excitement he would always have come in here, listen to this, you know? And I knew immediately I was like, this is, you know, this is not like anything else. It's phenomenal. 
it was so exciting. It is so, not was, it is very exciting. Um, and there's just so many layers with it, you know, um, the five part video series, you know, just, I mean, I think that that would totally be, uh, submitted for film festivals. It's just, it's amazing. Ryan yeah. from in decline. Yeah. And Mike writing that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the music seeing it all, you know, being there from the beginning at the house, you know, seeing how hard that they worked, how passionate they are about the project, how happy Mike is with this. I mean, he said it, you know, this is one of the, the best, the projects that he's the most proud of, you know, and, I think the um, combination of of everything that's been going on, because I know Mike pretty well, and obviously nowhere near as well as you, but we've we've had conversations, you know, both on the mic and off, and no pun intended. And uh, he seems <laughs> right now to be so 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 happy again, which is so lovely to see, because there was definitely a time when he was not. And I think that the museum and you know everything that's come mm -hmm. from that, you know, I think he finally feels mm -hmm. like he's appreciated again, because I think he felt like he was a villain for so long um, and unjustly so and it's nice to just yeah. see like you know his old smiley face back and that spark back and that like people recognize and like oh yeah this guy is a you know an important person within this community he's not just some fucking drug addled controversial asshole like he's no. actually a brilliant man absolutely not he is one of the hardest working people i know one of the most hardest working people i know one of the most passionate people i know giving i mean it's he's a great person he really is that's my experience yeah no mine too nothing but love for mike i'm going to be seeing them on friday in barcelona going i saw so you you're there. added on to melvinator which is another uh we just released his album on friday of course the day before the san diego um punk and Trublic, which yep. was um, I mean, it, the best I've seen no effects play. It was incredible. The set list looked unreal. Unreal. So yeah, they're doing these kind of albums, but they're not obviously doing the full albums like in their entirety, are they? They're doing a few tracks here and then they're splicing it up. But yeah, again, just the very little I've seen from the photos and, and the footage just looks like the band is, you know, in a really good place and, uh, you know, on fine yeah. form. And I can't wait to see them. I mean, Mike, he's just so many projects. I mean, not only the label with, you know, behind the scenes, the work that that takes. Um, and I really want to just say, you know, Mike, Mike's amazing, obviously, but he has a really good team behind him of people that are just, um, I don't know if you know Tom from uh, your side of the pond. I don't know. Uh, Hopefully I'll be at Tom Slam is, Dunk though, meet him there. Yeah, I think so. He um, has packaged sounds. Um, so he does uh, all of our vinyl. So he comes up with these amazing vinyl, you know, variants. Um, I wish I had one in front of me to show you, but not so he he runs a whole operation, you know, um, and I think there's probably close to 50 employees, you know, a huge operation there. Um, and he, this man works nonstop. I mean, he's our designer he's you know helping design the album cover i mean 
the work he does day to day on top of what he already does is um, it's incredible. And he has Mike's back 100%. Um, and same with Dylan, our label manager, you know, just uh, super smart. Um, it's definitely intimidating. Both of them are so smart and um, just on it. Creatively, both geniuses. Um, yeah, so it's just uh it's amazing working with them and and these projects and you know not only the label but mike had the museum going on um he did the fat mike gets strung out the quintet um with baz and that was just in february we did a show in los angeles just a, a small intimate show at this lovely venue that used to be the old house of blues on sunset boulevard i've been there and yeah. um yeah so that's uh going to be an album we're putting out um just it's non-stop it's awesome is the fishbones record you know, on you or is that fat like what else is coming up on bottles yeah so super exciting so the pre-order of that just went up yesterday amazing actually. i can't wait to hear yeah. that i love fishbones so much yeah. i've heard the one seven tune. years sounds brilliant seven years since they put out new music so it's super exciting yeah and before we stuff. go, it would be remiss of us not to mention the main man, Mr. Joe Sib. How'd you meet Joe? How long have you two been together? <laughs> What's the story there? Give me the uh, give me the long and short of that little romantic tale. Um, so funny enough, um, my ex-husband and Joe know each other. Um, because side one, you know, we did Machete did a lot of side one's merch, you know, and it is a very small world. Um, I didn't really know him at the time. I I remember vaguely seeing him come in and out of the warehouse sometimes. And I think I'd drop some merch off at side one a couple of times, but um, you know, just work, they were work colleagues. And uh so fast forward though, when I moved to California and I was working um with punk rock and paintbrushes, I was on my way to Steve Caballero's house, which is a dear friend of mine. And uh, he was in a show that we were about to do. And I went over to pick up some artwork or something from his house. And uh, that was when the faction was going to do a run of shows. And I guess the singer uh, couldn't do a couple of them or something. So they had recruited Joe Amazing. to sing. Uh, a couple of the shows. So he was over at Steve's house rehearsing. Um, and uh, we kind of just, you know, had a small exchange there and, and met. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of just a few months after that, we were just somehow saw each other again and started hanging out and, you know, similar backgrounds, similar stories. Um, he's the best. Yeah. He is it's the best. Almost three He's a great years. guy. To answer your question, it's been almost three years. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, you know, I think when you get to a certain point in the journey, you know exactly what you want from a relationship, don't you? And I think often it's people who can relate, you know, as as simple as that. Obviously, there has to be chemistry and attraction and all that stuff, but yeah. you really just want to be seen, don't you? And kind of just remain because dating at a certain yeah. age is just exhausting. And you're like, I'm not going back out. Oh my out. gosh. I'm not going back yeah. out into that world and going through all no. that again. And so it needs no. to be with someone who just gets it, gets you, you improve yeah. each other's lives. And, yeah. and that's all it is. 
That's it right there. What you just said, Am, is my life better with this person or not? You know, and for me, um, I didn't date after my situation and he was the first person that I ever brought around my kids. So that definitely happened, um, organically, which is super sweet. And, you know, the boys just adore him and, you know, um, we respect each other and, um, we love helping each other. That's a fun part of it. Cause we're from similar backgrounds. So he'll call me with, what do you think about this? And, and I'll call him and this happened. What do you think about this? So we're bouncing ideas off of each other. And so there's, there's a creative, um, aspect to our relationship too, which for us, I think is super cool, you know, given our backgrounds and what, what we do. So yeah, you need it. You need it. I've been single six years this summer and, um, that's because I've just not met anybody that a doesn't, you know, they, I haven't met anybody that adds to my life. And also I haven't met anybody that kind of understands and is in it. So I'm holding out until I do. And if I don't, that's fine too. But like, I've never been happier in my life yeah. than, than this point right now. So I feel good. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy that you and Joe have each other and, and that you've got There's all the There's a lot of growth stuff. that comes from uh, being single. So oh, the, there most certainly is. Enjoy it. Yeah. No, yeah, I do. I love for it. sure. I've really enjoyed this as well, Amy. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed oh, it. Oh, thank you. I'm pleased thank we went so to some much, deep Matt. places. That's my favorite kind of conversation to have. You know, the music chat's all well and good, but I much prefer. There's a reason why it's called Life in the Stocks and not Music in the Stocks. You yeah. know? I like talking about life. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you going to those places and being really honest. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Pray for me. Let the bombs blow, let the dominoes fall, I ain't got control. Hey, ho, let the bombs blow, let the dominoes fall, I ain't got control. No, 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 no. Na, 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 I ain't got control. No, 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 no. Na, na.